I begin sermons usually with what's called a hook. It's that story I tell you at the beginning. Sometimes it's a true story. Sometimes it's a make-believe story. Sometimes it's a story that was part of my life. Sometimes it's a story of something I observed. And today it's a story from Scripture. And if you were to look in 1 Kings chapter 20, you would read a story, a true story, of a man named Ben-Hadad. He was a king of Syria. He lived a long, long time ago. And one day Ben-Hadad determined that he would come up against Israel, who was at the time uh, under the rule of King Ahab. And Ben-Hadad came with 32 other kings, and they determined that they were going to destroy Israel. So Hadad came with these kings, and they came up against Israel. And you know, Israel were God's chosen people, chosen to represent God, to make God known, to bring glory to God, and proclaim His excellencies to all the nations. And during the battle, the small little Israelites were victorious in round one. Well, Hadad, Ben-Hadad had some advisors, and they came to him and they said, Hey, king, here's what's going on. You see, their gods, the gods of the Israelites, are the gods of the hills, and so they're stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we'll be stronger than they. You ever heard this story before? In 1 Kings 20, verse 26, the spring came around, and Hadad and the 32 kings came up. They mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered, I love this part, and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. Who's going to win the battle, folks? A man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said... The Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Can you relate to Ben-Hadad? Do you ever think that God is a God of the hills, but not the valleys? Do you ever think that God can work here, but not there? Do you ever limit the power of God by how you live? Or said another way for our text today, do you ever have weak faith? If not... Come on up and do this for me, because I have weak faith. But I have a strong Savior. 1 Kings 20 is our hook today to bring us to Mark chapter 9. And our goal today is to see through this text that our job as Christians is to trust in the God of all creation, realizing that all things are possible with God and in His power. You all tracking with me? If not, I'll start over. <laughs> Remember last week, or two weeks ago, we saw the transfiguration. We saw the glory of God on display. We saw Moses and Elijah speak to the fact that Jesus would die. We saw that God always knows what he's doing and is fully in control, even when we don't understand. And we saw the compassion and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ taking these messed up, weak, pathetic disciples and showing them his truth yet again. Well, today we come down from the mountain into the valley, and we go from glory to suffering, a foretaste of heaven to a foretaste of hell, from holy wonder to holy terror. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And before you, while you're getting there, I'll read to you Deuteronomy 11:11, 11, which says, But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by rain from heaven. That is a geographic speaking of a land to be taken by the people of God. But if you read closely, you see it also speaks of the life of a Christian. 
The land we walk through, if you will, is a land of hills and valleys, and the disciples are coming from a hill into a valley, and they were with Jesus on the hill, and they walked by sight, not by faith, but there were nine left behind who couldn't see the Lord, who couldn't hear from the Lord, who were learning to walk by faith, and man, they messed up, and our goal today is to learn a little better by the grace of God how to walk by faith when we cannot walk by sight. So, Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, when they, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, he obviously being Jesus. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him, terribly it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, why, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That is the word of the Lord, my friends. Verse 14, they come down the mountain. Imagine Peter, James, and John. What is going through their heads at this moment in time? They were just walking with the Lord. The Lord said to them, he'd revealed he's Messiah. Peter confessed, remember the great confession, the continental divide. Jesus says, that's great, just so you know, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'll rise three days later. Peter said to him, come on now, mind yourself, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus kindly said, Peter, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. Then Peter goes up the mountain with these two others, and Elijah and Moses come. Remember, we learned what they were talking about. They were talking about the fact that Jesus would die. And Peter, the great theologian and the man of great faith, who would never let Jesus down because he loved him so much, said, let's build tents. And we saw that dealt with the Feast of Tabernacles and power and the coming of the kingdom. And, and Peter was missing the whole glory thing and the suffering thing and how they related. And the Father came down and spoke and audibly rebuked Peter. Listen to my son. Y'all remember that? So they're, they're up on the mountain. They're coming down on the mountain. Their heads have got to be spinning. They, hmm, all wonder, confusion, all, all, sorts of, all sorts of spinning going on. They come down the mountain, and there are nine guys left, nine disciples arguing with the scribes who always show up when a crowd from Jesus gathers. They want to discredit Jesus. They want to make sure people don't follow Jesus. They want people to stay in the power structures they've established. And verse 15 says, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. Do you know what that means? It means they were greatly amazed. <laughs> 
It's an interesting, strong word which I can best relate by. Do we have any, any teeny boppers here? No. But you know, have you ever seen the, the, the 12, 13-year-old girls when they go to the, the concert of the, the heartthrob? I mean, I have three boys. We don't listen to heartthrob, teeny bopper music. I don't know who it is now, but you know those concerts and all the girls are like, ah! Sorry, I got a mic on. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what we have going on here. It's a celebrity infatuation. Jesus, a miracle worker, comes down the hill and the crowds are like, ah! These are not safe people. These are people infatuated with the show that he's putting on. So they're greatly amazed, and they run up to him and greet him. Ah! And he asked them, what are you arguing about with the crowd? He's talking to the scribes and the disciples, right? And look who answered him. Not someone from the scribes and the disciples, but a guy, a man, a dad of a boy who had a little faith, as you will see. And he says to him here, this is really marvelous. He has faith. He says to him, my son, he's got what's called demon-induced epilepsy. Read a little closer, you'll see the symptoms. The disciples, they're not able to cast it out. What did the disciples do not too long ago? Jesus sent them out, and what did they do? What happened here? They failed. Why? They lacked faith. Verse 19. You track in there? Verse 21, Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? Why does he ask the question? He needs to know how much power to muster up. He needs to know how to fix his problem. Why does he ask him, how long has this been happening? He wants to make the man complete. He wants to show his compassion for the man. He's not just here to solve a problem. He's here to heal the man and the boy. Do you see that? How long has this been happening? He tells him, and then he says to the Lord, if you can. Do you ever talk like that to God? Do you ever live like that with God? Do you ever pray like that to God? God, I'm struggling right now. If, if you can. Do you ever do that? What does Jesus say? If I can? Don't pray if you can. If you will. Father, I'm out of money, I'm out of strength, I'm out of hope. If you can help, no, 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 if you will. Don't say can, say will. The Father says, if you can. Jesus says, if I can, emphatic, all things are possible for one who believes. And what's the Father say? Ah, the Greek reads this way. Ah, 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 ah. Ah, believe, help my unbelief. That should be our life verse, huh? I believe, help my unbelief. So Jesus saw this crowd running, and he wasn't putting on a show for the crowd. That ended in 8, chapter 8. He's working to reveal to the disciples. Before the crowd comes, he casts out the spirit. It slams him to the ground. The boy looks dead. Don't miss that. The boy looks dead. They go, he died. Jesus takes him by the hand, he lifts him up, he's alive, he gives him back to the dad, the disciples go with Jesus to the house, and they say the Greek again, why could we not do this? And Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I just threw a whole bunch of, of biblical truth on the table, pick and choose as you will, go in peace. <laughs> what do we do with that? 
May I suggest three things? Starting with this. Faith. Prayer is faith turned to God. Prayer is a focusing and directing of faith in a specific request to God. Both faith and prayer testify that spiritual power is not in oneself, but in God alone, and both wait and trust upon his promise to save. The disciples couldn't heal the man because the disciples forgot where the power to heal came from. They did it not too long ago when Jesus sent them out in the power of Christ. But see, when they saw a problem, they thought, I got it. I did it. I know how to do this. Come here, buddy. And you know what happened? It didn't work. You ever done that? You ever? Lord, I've seen somebody come to faith. I'm going to save some more. Not going to work. Lord, I I, I have experienced your presence. I have seen your provision. I no longer need you. I'm good. You ever done that? Lord, I got it. I'll plan my schedule. I will determine my path in life. I will find my joy and comfort and security where I know I can find it because I got it. You know what? God is so gracious. He smiles at us and says, oh, really? Would you like to try that for how long? Guys, what is faith? How do we live by faith? Why does it matter? That's what I want to draw out of this text. What is faith? I love Hebrews 11 because it gives us the answer right there. No? Jeff has preached through that not too long ago. So you all know this perfectly. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty, or the conviction of things not seen. How about this from James R. Edwards? It's not as good as the scripture. It's not inspired. James Edwards in the Pillar New Testament commentary on Mark says, True faith is unconditional openness to God. A decision in the face of all to the contrary that Jesus is able. Listen to that. A decision in the face of all to the contrary that Jesus is able. God, it's not possible, faith says, but with God all things are possible. Now, faith is not the same as believing something is true. Faith, this is not saving faith. I believe fact that Jesus is God incarnate, come, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve, and by placing our, our, our trust in him, just intellectually, that we're saved. That's not faith. Do you know why that's not faith? Because you're in company with demons. You say, that sounds harsh. No, it sounds like James 2, 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, here's the difference between faith and believing. In Greek, the word for, for believe is pastuo. It actually usually reads pastuo ice, to believe in or believe into, like stepping into a river. Faith is trusting in what you know to be true. Watch this. It's trusting in the facts of the gospel. You know what the facts of the gospel are? Last week, we were talking in Bible study about how who could present them in 60 seconds. Remember that? Well... Becky Rhodes is going to do that for us right now. (laughs) The gospel is God made us, God owns us, God establishes the rules for us. We've all fallen short. We've all broken his rules. As a result, we stand condemned and the wages of sin or breaking his rules is death. And that on our own, we merit nothing but death and we'll spend an eternity separated from God in fiery torment of hell. You say, I don't like that. Well, God doesn't say, what do you want? He tells us truth. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that word believe, pastuo, is to trust in, to have faith in. And when we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, we will be saved. But this is what trust looks like. This is what faith looks like. Not just believing the facts are true, 
but living in light of those true facts. And that is why our faith works, because it can't help but. Our trust, our faith is evidenced by how we live. We're not saved by how we live, but if we're saved, we will live. And that, my friends, is what faith is. But faith is also necessary, as the disciples just found out, to mature in your faith. The big word is sanctification. That's four syllables or so, right? Sanctification. Five-syllable word. Big word. Just means maturing in your faith. You mature in your faith by trusting in the facts that saved you. Now, how often have you tried to grow in your relationship with Christ on your own? Well, God, here's what I'll do. I'll give you 40 Sundays. I'll give you a little bit of my time, talent, and treasure. I'll read your Bible sometimes, or I'll listen to a podcast, or I don't know, I'll do something. I'll read the daily bread, and I'll grow in my faith. Have you ever tried that? Doesn't work so well just doing that, does it? Because you're not submitting to and trusting in the reality and the joy of who Christ is. So the question is, the disciples were learning, hey, we can heal this guy, we did it. Then they come to Jesus, well, what, what happened? Jesus says, y'all got no faith. Y'all lack prayer. Y'all didn't trust in me. You thought you could do it on your own? Now, were the disciples saved, yes or no? The answer is yes. Were the disciples saved, yes or no? Yes. Did they lose their salvation by failing to walk in faith? No. You see the difference here. They're saved by grace through faith, not of their own works, but they can shipwreck their faith. They can be stuck in ineffectual immaturity by not walking in faith. They can't lose their faith. But do they really want to spend the rest of their lives depending on themselves and not trusting in Christ? That's what Jesus is going to invest in them over the coming chapters and us as well by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Scripture. And the question is, how do we live by faith? How do we do this? How do we live by faith? Faith is the, the foundation, if you will, of Christianity. It's a foundation of, of how we are to live as Christian people. All that we do must come out of faith. Do you know that you can do nothing pleasing to God except by faith? Did you know that? What is, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Hebrew, faith is knowing the facts and trusting in the facts. That's hard. Knowing the facts is not that hard, especially for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Here are the facts of who God is and what God calls us to and how God comforts, encourages, and directs us. Here's the facts. Now let's trust in the facts. That's scary. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you know fear is a sin? Anyone sin this week with fear? Why is it so hard? We're going to get to this. I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you see that? How do we walk in faith? You start by realizing how incredibly weak your faith is. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for 40 or 50 years, right? Do you say, I have strong faith. Listen, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a true text, but it actually reads in the mature believer like this. Oh man, I'm a stinking wreck. I keep messing things up when I trust myself. But what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, what I'm growing is, I can't do anything on my own, but, but, but I can do all things through him. 
I, I, I can't even get any credit for it because it has nothing to do with me. On my own, I'm a timid little scaredy cat. I'm a self-righteous person. I'm a self-confident person. And I keep tripping up because God opposes the proud. But thanks be to God, he gives grace to the humble and he's gracious and forgiving and merciful. It begins, walking in faith begins by being dependent on Christ and not ourselves. Do you want to see people come to faith? I got good news for you. So does God. And do you know how God does that? When you get out of the way and trust in him. Does anyone here want to be miserable, lonely, isolated, depressed, discouraged, and just wait until the day they die? Anybody after that? Because that's easy. You just go the way the world wants. Does anyone want joy unceasing? Does anyone want to be able to be thankful always? Does anyone want peace that surpasses all understanding? Huh? Does anyone want to store up treasure in heaven? Do you know how you do this? Well, this is hard because it starts by realizing how weak you are and trusting in what God says, but seeing that on your own, you can't. Mark this. You ever hear the expression, God won't give you more than you can handle? You ever hear that? It's a blatant, stinking lie. God will perpetually give you way more than you can handle. He entrusted a task to the disciples here that they could not pull off. Do you see that? They couldn't do it. He entrusted it to them. They couldn't do it. The quote should read, God will never give you more than you can handle. Ready? As you trust in him. God will overload you with more than you can handle on your own. He will break you down if you try to do it on your own. But then as you abide in him, as you trust in him, as you walk with him, then you understand what Paul means when he says in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then I am strong, because we walk by faith as we cry out to the Lord, I can't do it. He says, now we're getting there. God, I can't do it. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too heavy. I can't persevere. Help. And do you know what he says? Okay, I'll do that. I would delight in doing that. I'm not going to share my glory with you. I was waiting for you to get to the point that you realized you can't do it. How do we walk by faith? We trust. We depend solely on God. Does that scare the boots off you when you hear that? How would you feel about taking, listen to me, folks, all of your days, all of your abilities, all of your money, all of your possessions, putting it up to God and saying, it's all yours. He'll say, I know. It's all yours to do with whatever you like. If you want it all, take it all. You want my life, take my life. You want to crush me, crush me. You want to use me, use me. Whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Doesn't that scare the boots off of you? Why? Do we really believe that God is against us in Christ? Do we really believe that God can't run our lives better than we can? Jesus is saying to us, to the disciples, walk by faith, trust in me, give it all to him because it's his anyway. He's numbered your days. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. His plans are perfect. The question is, do you want to be used by him? Or do you want to build with wood and hay and stubble? Why does it scare us to walk by faith? Do you want to know why it scares us to walk by faith? Because we're crazy. We're sin-infected fools. We're just like the disciples. I got it. Uh, God, why didn't that work? Ben Hadad, I got this. I'm coming after God's people. Doesn't work. His advisors come. Listen, he's a God of the hills. We got him in the valleys. Didn't work out so well. 
Now, see, I trust God in certain areas. You know what areas I like to trust him in? The areas where I'm in control. God, give us today our daily bread as my cupboard is packed full. Don't you like that prayer? Why is it daily bread? Why can't it be annual provision on January 1st? Because God loves us too much. He says to the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have. You know why? Because something stood in the way of him in a relationship with God. Now, as believers, the relationship is there. But let me ask you this question. In what areas are you depending on yourself and on your own abilities in your life right now? The disciples were depending on themselves to cast out a demon. How well did that work? Now, would you like to run the course of your days and see how well it worked out for you to bring God glory by depending on yourself? In what ways do you fail to trust in and submit to Christ alone? In what ways do you fail to trust in and submit to Christ alone? And I want to put a follow-up question on that for you to answer to yourself before the Lord. Why? Why do we fail to trust in God alone? Let me give you a side note warning here. This dad brought his most precious possession to Jesus. You know what it was? His boy. His boy was being battered and bruised and thrown into fire and water. He, had, he has physical symptoms of epilepsy when you read the parallel accounts. And it almost certainly came from brain damage he received by being thrown around to the ground repetitively for years. Bashing into the ground, bashing into the ground, bashing into the ground, thrown into the fire, thrown into the water. This dad's existence is following his son around trying to keep him from dying. He brings him to Jesus. And you read that text too quickly, you miss the fact Jesus got the boy, called the boy to him, bring him to me. And when he's coming, the demon slammed him to the ground. And then they're looking at the boy, and they're like, he's dead. He's dead. Jesus failed. Did he? Hmm. Sometimes I hear Christians ask, and sometimes I say to myself, why is life so hard for a Christian? The lost folks, they got it easy. They got success, they, they're doing well, life's going smooth. And the Christian folks, why is it so hard? You ever been there? Why, 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 man? It's not fair, God. I thought you were for me. I thought you loved me. I thought you would make things easy for me. Well, there's an easy path if you want to take it, and it's not with Jesus. Let me put that out there. Let's be transparent. There's a wide path that's smooth, lacks a lot of the bumps that Christians go through. It's costly to follow Jesus. If you want the easy life now, don't come with Jesus. You see, sometimes God throws a bump. Sometimes things don't look like they're going so well. But if you will persevere, if you will hang in there, if you will not grow weary of doing good, in due season you will reap if you don't give up. Because Jesus reached down to this boy who looked dead, and you know the dad is like, I thought you could help. I, I, my son is dead. I thought you could help and you made it worse. Hang in there, buddy. Hang in there a moment because my Lord's not done with him yet. He reached down with his hand, lifted him up, and gave him back his son restored. My friends, how often do we trust God? Here, I'll trust you with this. No, no, no. It's scary. God, I'll trust you with my life. I'll do what you want. It's all falling apart. No, hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. You know one of the signs of a true Christian? We persevere to the end.
In the face of everything contrary by sight, we live by faith and we trust that God will do what he says he will do. We go through life, I'm going to die. Jesus says, you are, but in me you'll live forever. I'm going to starve to death. You're not going to starve to death. We're like scared kids in the backseat. You ever drive with your dad when you were a little kid and it's raining and funnel clouds are coming and rhinoceroses are running down the street. Daddy, we're going to die in the car. Stop. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I got this up here. Y'all could just be quiet back there. Yeah, and, and then your mom's like, be quiet, we're going to die. And your dad's like, we're not going to die. Well, sometimes we do that with Jesus. And we realize that even in the storms of life, the Lord knows how to drive the car, doesn't he? And he entrusts to a certain situation. And he refines us in the crucible. And he prunes us. And he matures us. And sometimes it looks like it's going really, really bad. But hang in there a moment, would you? Because my Lord is in control, Amen. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Are you with me? Our job as we walk by faith is to die to self, to trust in him at all costs with no exceptions. And he will not let us down. How much faith do you need? AJ, don't jump on my sermon with what I'm going to say. Come on. (laughs) How much faith do you need? A grain of mustard seed. You know how much faith that is? A tiny tiny speck. Apparently AJ is connected to my sermon notes here, or he's read scripture. I think it's probably the latter. And in Matthew 17, in the parallel account, verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Hmm. He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In case you didn't know, that is not a teaching on geography and topology. Now, Paul Pizzotti could do business a lot faster if he had faith the size of a mustard seed and just said to this boulder, move, boulder, move dirt, right? That's not geology and topography. It's a truth regarding how much faith we need. So how much do you need a speck? My friends track with me here. How do you get the speck of faith? Ask for it. You trust in Christ. The moment you come to faith, you know what God entrusts to you? A speck of faith. A tiny little speck of faith, and it's sufficient faith. You're never going to have perfect faith on this side of eternity. You're never going to have enough faith if you will to function on your own. You get a speck of faith. A speck of faith. And do you know what you need? Don't cry out to God, give me more faith. No, no, no. Activate the faith that's been given to you at the moment you came to faith, and it will grow. That mustard seed, it grows, doesn't it? And the birds hang on the branches, don't they? I'm not going into that Old Testament text today. We'll be there another time, I'm sure. It's a marvelous, marvelous truth. But how much faith do we need as a speck? How do you get the speck? You come to faith, and then you live by faith, and then you grow in your faith, and then you bring glory to God. And these dudes who were down in the valley, in despair with a boy they couldn't heal. Can I tell you a story about them? They grew, and they matured, and they were used mightily by God. And can I give you some bad news, which is actually good news, which we'll rejoice with them in one day? A lot of them died for their faith. The one who didn't die was boiled in oil and then cast to an island to live out the days by himself. His name was John, and you could read Revelation. These guys didn't die in retirement on the beaches of Tahiti. One of the guys died upside down. One was ripped apart. One was, they, they died horrible deaths of martyrs, but they didn't run from their death. You know why? 
because they remembered this little boy who looked like he was dead and they remembered their Lord reaching down and picking him up. And I am certain when Peter hung upside down on the cross because he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord, that he smiled upon his face on the inside despite the pain he may have felt in his physical body. And he saw his Lord coming to take him home. And he said, you knew it. You knew what you were talking about. You knew what you would do. And today he rejoices with him in perfection. My friends, we may bump in the road, we may be scared, we may freak out, but have faith. How do you walk by faith? You cry out to God, I believe, help my unbelief. And when you're weak, my friends, then you will be strong. There are two ways to live as a Christian. One is like this in the text that we don't see. The part where Jesus is up on the mountain with the three guys and, and these nine disciples are down there and we got a demon-possessed boy getting smacked around and foaming and having a seizure. And they say, come here, buddy, we got this. We got this. Get out of him, demon. <sighs> Get out of him, demon. You know, the scribes are saying, look at you, Mr. Fancy Pants. I thought your guy was powerful. I thought he was Messiah. He is Messiah. We can do things through his power. We'll do this. Out of him, demon. You make a mockery of the Lord like that. You know that? And Jesus comes down. He says, you've ruined my reputation, you nine pathetic fools. Get away from me. Right? Do you see what happens there? He comes down the mountain. You know, we all have earthly fathers. Some of us never knew our earthly father, but we have earthly fathers, and they typically don't respond like Christ did, and we as earthly fathers don't always do that either, do we? So what we do is we see God like our earthly father too often. And when we fail the family, when we mess up the family name or reputation, we get scolded harshly. But look what Jesus does. Just the love and the compassion, they say, well, what happened? He doesn't say, you're pathetic. You're losers. I'm ashamed of you. Is that what he says? No, because there's no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What does he mean by that? Trust. Faith. Let me ask you a couple questions and we'll close out our time today. Are you enjoying intimacy with Christ right this moment as robustly as you would like? Are you being used powerfully by Christ as you truly know he would want you to be? Are you free from fear and doubt right now? Are you rejoicing always? If not, I have good news for you. You can be. How? Know your weakness. You have weak faith. Remember, God is the same always. God is the same on the hills as he is in the valleys, in the wonderful mountaintop experiences, if you will, where we feel and experience and see the presence of God, where we see the provision of God, where we see God caring for us so wonderfully and working through us so magnificently and guiding us so clearly. That God is the same God as in the valley of the shadow of death when we can't see him so clear and we're freaking out and we don't know what's going on. God doesn't change. Know your weakness. Remember that God is always the same, both in the hills and in the valleys. Trust him with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And you know what he'll do? He'll make straight your path. And lastly, cry out to him in your weakness. Cry out that he would strengthen you, 
for his glory and your joy. Our Lord is so magnificent. We're through almost nine chapters of this Gospel of Mark. I love this book. And we've seen who the Lord is. We've seen the power of the Lord. We've seen the Lord power on display. We've seen the compassion and grace and mercy of the Lord. And now the Lord has pivoted from his public ministry to equipping the disciples who have walked with him for about two and a half years at this point by sight. They see him with their eyes. They hear him with their ears. They physically touch him with their hands. But remember what he said? I'm going to die. And then we get to Acts and we see him ascend. And they will no longer live by sight, they will live by faith, and he's equipping them. Now, can I give you some really exciting news? There's a big difference between these disciples right here and us. You say, well, they had, they had Jesus directly. Well, well guys, I, I have, I don't know about you, but I have the Word of God here before me. They, they had lacked something we have. Jesus walked with them, but God dwells in us. Do you see what's going on here, folks? We have all that we need to live lives that are pleasing to God. And do you know what it takes to live that life? AJ, tell them. A speck of faith. Our job is to activate that faith by trusting in God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are a wreck. We are really good at making messes. But we rejoice in the fact that you are the one who takes messes and redeems them. Lord, we were dead in our sins, and you gave us eternal life. Lord Jesus, we know that you did not come to be a moral example of how we should live. You came to save dead people who were incapable. But Lord, we also know that when you gave us new life, you gave us that speck of faith so we could live lives pleasing to you. Apart from faith, we can do nothing pleasing to you. But when we trusted in you, we received all the faith we needed. Holy Spirit, please help us. Please work powerfully in us. Please give us clarity of vision. Please remove the plugs from our ears. Please help us to see with spiritual eyes. And in the face of everything the world may tell us, in the face of everything our fallen minds may think, and in the face of everything we may assume, help us to walk through our doubts and fears and shame and confusion and follow you, Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Lord, we have a name in you. You have written our names on the palm of your hand. We have all we need in you. Help us to trust in that and walk in that and be used by you for your glory and our joy. Lord Jesus, you tell us that we must die to live. Help us today die a little more to self, so we might live a little more fully with you and for you. Lord, thank you for your clear word. Thank you for the fact that you have chosen to speak to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come to give us the ability to understand your truth. And Lord, help us to be a people who rejoice well, who are glad in you, and who are used by you mightily as we proclaim to a world, we are incredibly weak, but we worship a mighty God who saves. Lord Jesus, to you alone be the glory. Amen.